Welcome to the Leaders in Learning Design podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, the place to get up-to-the-minute information for cutting-edge learning design. Today we have with us Leo Blankenship, an accomplished business professional and the Managing Director at Summit Services. Welcome, Leo. Hi, Joanne. Thank you very much for having me today. You're very welcome. Would you take a couple of minutes, please, and introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about your business and L&D background? Sure. Thank you. Um, so I actually come, I come from a combination of L&D and finance. I spent the, probably about the first half of my career um, from university with one of the big four, now the big four, Instant Young. And I was a, uh, ultimately an uh, audit partner there. But towards the end of my career in, with EMY for about the last three or four years of it, I had a responsibility for the um, learning needs and learning functions of the audit practice worldwide. So that was give or take about half to, to 60 or 70 percent of the EY business. And as part of that, I became deeply involved with the a combination of the, the people who were responsible for the knowledge functions, the, the methodology and the technology functions. And I had the learning segment and worked collaboratively collaboratively with them as we service the needs of the audit professionals worldwide. And we were using an internal group that um, uh, EY had established that was servicing both the needs of the internal um, uh, staff at EMY, but also was an external provider. So this was a business that was uh, inside EMY. And they were, I was the customer, they were the service provider. And I made a decision um, along with a few of the other partners that we were going to uh, spin off this business. It was uh, at the point in time when the big four were being forced to get rid of all of their consulting like businesses. And we decided to spin this business off and uh, in order to be able to grow it. And we sold it to a company by the name of ACS. And uh, that company's gone through a few um, uh, iterations now through a part of being part of Xerox. And now it's part of a company by the name of Conduent. Um, and Conduent and ACS and Xerox, before I, they were conglomerates who had a variety of businesses. One of them was this learning services uh, business. And what we did is spent probably the last 15 years, um, I ran it for several of those years, developing a learning outsource business. And so we were performing learning outsource services and they continue to do today for very large scale um, operations uh, around the world for you know, aerospace and defense, professional services, pharmaceutical and other types of businesses um, where we were at, they were outsourcing the internal learning functions, both content development, administration, systems, et cetera. And uh, towards the end of last year, you know, I uh, made a decision that I was going to spend um, some time as a freelance consultant and advisor and established um, the company Summit Services that um, I'm working with. And I've got a couple other colleagues who work with me. And I've um, been doing that now for about six months. Um, and it's really just taking what I'd learned over those past 30 odd years uh, from a learning perspective and trying to bring that into the market and working with clients, whether they're making decisions around systems, processes, learning strategy, um, or operations. And that's what I've been doing lately. 
Outstanding. And, and Leo, I, I think I'm right in saying that one area or topic that you've been focused on a lot of late, thinking about and indeed writing about, is the way that L&D is, is purchased in larger organizations. So tell us a little bit more about some of the key issues there. Well, you think about the, um, sorry, I got a bit of feedback there. The, um, one of the greatest challenges that whether it's a chief learning officer or a training director, whatever the title might be, one of the greatest challenges they constantly face on a year in year out basis is budget. Some years the budget's great, some years the budget's cut. And you know, a lot of the focus for those leaders is really around the content, whether that's creating content, curating content, integrating their content with the knowledge and communication activities the company's doing. But budget is always a constraint. And so when I look at how, you know, what, what, not just I, what, what, what we were seeing and what I've seen over the years is when you look at how money is spent inside most major corporates as it relates to the learning needs, you've got the central spend that's usually directly controlled by the CLO or the training director. But then you've got remote spend, quite often controlled by business operations and business leaders. Sometimes that's visible. So you know you've got the central is visible, some of the stuff that's remote is visible, but then you've got other spend. And this will vary from company to company depending on the level of control they apply. But you've got other spend that is going out for learning interventions and it can go out the door through T&E, so depending on how your company is structured and what approval authorities you allow to your staff, there can be money being spent on personal credit cards, corporate credit cards that's just coming back through the T&E function. And then you've also got money that's going out the door um, through POs. And a lot of companies will have a PO level, uh, which there's no really no approval, maybe beyond a direct line manager at the most. And that can be very small. Some companies, it's a few hundred dollars. And other companies, I've seen, you know, $100,000 can be approved as an expenditure, basically on a signature. And so you have this ability in, in a lot of companies for purchasing and acquisition of training activities and training resources to happen through very controlled elements like the central budgets, but then semi-uncontrolled through these other pathways. And I think the challenge is, Often the budgets that get tightly controlled are the ones that are visible, as opposed to the ones that are much less visible, things like going through T&E and low value POs. And so I think you know, my view is that the, the CLO or the training director probably needs to have a responsibility in their own mind that's not just about providing content, providing the learning strategy, but they also need to have the financial acumen and be thinking about where all of this money is being spent. Not specifically so you can stop people from doing training. That's not the why. The why is you can help the company as a whole more efficiently spend what they're spending, and it allows you to begin to rotate where that money's being spent so that it's going to be um, consumed in the ways that are the greatest value and outcome for the learner, but also most economically rational for the company. So when you talk about the problems with the way that learning and development solutions are being bought and sold, what do you think is the most damaging or potentially dangerous impact 
to those of us who are trying to sell those learning solutions. We want to be in the right space when we're working with these companies. Yeah, I think I think the from, I'll put it from the company perspective and then from the provider perspective. So from the buying perspective, I think one risk you've got is you, you, you get content or information coming in that's contrary to what your business objectives are or what your outcome objectives are for the learner because you don't have any real advice or guidance happening on how the decisions are being made about what's bought. So I think there's there's danger in that regard. And I think paired with that is part of what I was getting at earlier is you get inefficient spend. So, you know, you you just you've got the risk of, you know, non-qualifying material and information, but you've also then just got a risk of very inefficient spend, so you're not getting best value for dollar. I think from the supplier perspective, I think the risk is that you know, we may sell something in once and everybody's really happy, but then somebody does a think later and they, what did we buy that for? And they look to us going, well, what did you, you know, they start asking us, well, why did we need that? What was the value? What was the outcome? And we don't necessarily, it becomes difficult for us sometimes to communicate the value when the client starts questioning, why did they even buy it? So I think it becomes a danger for us that we may be selling in things, um, that you know seem on the surface to be a good idea, but because the buyer who was making the buy at the company really didn't have the total viewpoint, they're making a bad buy and it can reflect back on us later as well. So I think there's there's a danger on both sides by this kind of not having more discipline around the buying activities. It's really interesting that you mentioned that angle, Leo, because obviously, we're a provider, we're a seller of these services. And obviously we encounter that very issue whereby we have central buyers and we have line of business buyers. Would you go as far as to advise us as providers to be very wary of the situation of selling solutions to the line of business as opposed to the central function? I think, I think I'd be aware versus wary, I would just use the word, the, the phrase I would use is aware, but I would, I'm, I look at it and say, lens at our clients, what we wanna be is a trusted advisor. So sometimes the best advice we can give a client is don't do something, or let's make certain we really understand the what and the why you're doing it. You know, what are you trying to achieve? What's the outcome that must take place? And have that dialogue in the discussion of the context of the broader strategy of the company. So don't even at the line level, when you're selling the line level, don't be afraid to ask them that question of like, you know, how does this fit in with what you really as a business trying to achieve? And where I would be wary is if I'm selling at the line level and the person's just dismissive of the of the broader corporate, or the broader company objectives, I, that's where I would be wary about, do I really want to have that person as a business partner? Because it could, you know, I may get the, like I said, I get the one-time sale, but I don't, you know, I'm not a preferred provider after that. I don't get a second bite of the apple, if you will. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally, totally understand what you're saying there. Uh, on the other side of the coin, though, you know, a lot of our listeners are people who are coming from a centralized learning function. So what, what would you say to them in the sense of how can they address this issue that the line is out there with this T&E spend or these purchase order 
spends? I mean, what what do you do as a centralized learning organization to, to handle that and to deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, the, the place I start from is one of the challenges for all of us who've been in these centralized roles, and I was there as well before, we, we, we run the risk of becoming or we run the risk of, of, of believing we know the better answer. We know what the right answer is. Where often, frankly, we don't have any better answer than anybody else. So what's really incumbent upon us in these central roles then is we need to ask, we need to listen, we need to make certain that we're really taking on board and living the what is the outcome that's the best for the workforce member, that's the best for the company, and have that deep dialogue with the local, regional uh, owners of the business. Because in the end, everything we do, and the only reason we exist is so that the people that are executing the business are better able and better capable to do it. So that's the starting point. Listen, listen and take on board. And then, you know, the classic consulting, repeat back what you've heard until you're sure that everybody's in agreement that this is what you've heard. Um, then what you have to do, and this is where I, my, one of the recommendations I give to people is start with a pilot. And what I do is say, either identify a subject matter or a topic area or a geography and lay out how you're going to propose going about guiding and managing that spend. But then, but as part of that, you work with the partner, whether it's the local or the regional, what are they, what are the business outcomes we're trying to achieve? And this is how we would, how we're going to go about executing this business objective around managing the spend. And then you lay out a process that has clear metrics and clear measurements of success that are not just economic, but are also value and outcome. And then you measure them rigorously. So essentially what you're trying to do is build a pilot case inside your organization that you then can take to the next groups. And that would be my guidance to folks. Leo, our listeners are often the creators of cons or consumers of more of a customized learning solution. With the recent rapid growth in cloud-based learning libraries like LinkedIn Learning and Skillsoft, what do you think is the future need for customized L&D solutions? You know, it was, it was interesting. I was literally on a phone call this morning with a um, potential client in uh, Europe, and that same question came up. And and, uh, and I'll I'll try and see if I see if I say the same thing twice. That'll be an interesting test. Um, the uh, I, I I think what part of what this is is a discussion around curation versus creation, and I think it's a question of has all of the content in the world been created? My short answer is no, I don't think so. So I do believe there will be creation, and I'll flesh that flesh that answer out a bit here in a moment. But I think where we are moving is that there is going to be greater need for curation of content on a go-forward basis, uh, and whether that is curating publicly available content or whether that's creating curating user-created content that's sitting out in storage repositories or curating the privately owned knowledge and content that a company has. I think the, the learning functions in corporates, as well as the learning business providers like ourselves, I think it, we're not that far from where, as opposed to having a director of content creation, we're probably going to have directors of curation, um, or you're going to have curation directors 
whose responsibility is probably more akin to a library science type role as it is to a classic instructional design role. And I, I think that's going to become a more critical role, particularly over the next few years. Um, I think the pandemic slowed it down a little bit. I think this was coming. And I think the pandemic kind of like it did interrupt a lot of things. But I think this is going to come back much more aggressively, particularly as we start to see more of the um, uh, deployment of LXPs, micro learning platforms, as well as the deployment of greater integration of knowledge, learning and communications. As those those sub responsibilities inside a company start to come together more closely, you're going to see curation being more important. Now, creation. Um, I think where we're going to still see fresh curation, if you will, I'm sorry, creation, if you will, is when a company has policy activities, whether those are policy changes or whether those are regulatory changes, I think you're still going to see fresh creation there. It may not necessarily be, you know, you know, long form, meaning hour to multi-hour content. It may be very small, short form, minutes and uh, partial hours. But I think you're still going to see fresh creation there. That's, uh, that's that really, I guess, falls in the compliance realm. I think the other place where you're still going to see a continuing demand for fresh creation is around, um, uh, how do I describe this, around culture. So as companies are, particularly employers, are focused on either driving cultural change or creating culture inside of an organization. They're using learning, knowledge, and communications as means to do that. I think you're going to see fresh curation there. And in the soft skills where I think you'll see it is um, in emerging uh, areas. So if I think about, you know, you think about changes in expectations of leaders and managers, particularly in the last, you know, probably 12 to 15 months with a very clear focus on equality and inclusiveness. I think you're still going to see as you've got these emerging soft skill topics and if you will, behavioral related topics, I think you're going to see fresh creation, creation there. So I don't think it's going away, but I do think curation is going to become more dominant. So you're talking Leah, about quite a, quite a different L and D world in the future, potentially. So if you could kind of sum it up, what would you say was maybe one or two key things that our listeners might want to do differently or ways to think differently so that they're actually better prepared for that kind of future L&D world that you, you envision there? Yeah, so this is I, I'm, this is kind of something we were working on when I was um, uh, it, towards the uh, end of last year at Conjoint, and they've, they've continued working on some of this since then. But, and, and I think some of this I've taken, because I've you know, been thinking about what Burson's been writing, some of the things he's been writing as well and following. If I, if I look at it, one of the key things I think is going to happen is one, I don't think we're that far away where we will probably stop calling it L&D. And what I mean by that is, if you think about the nature of you and I as individuals, you know, for if we go back to the beginning, I go back to the beginning of my career, I can remember vividly receiving paper, lots of paper. And I would get a communication piece of paper that would come out on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I'd get some sort of knowledge or compliance piece of paper that would come out and tell me the thou shalts or this is information you need to know. 
And then on uh, Friday, I'd get some sort of internal marketing notice about some great thing we'd done as an organization. And then on Monday, I'd get a binder, or probably over the weekend, I'd get a binder in my mail, and I'd have to grab that binder, get on an airplane, and go into a class where I would sit and consume that binder over a week-long period. And those were all delivered by very four very distinct organizations in the company, communications, knowledge and compliance, marketing, and learning. And we were all distinct organizations, and we all lived, and we delivered things. Well, now, I, you know, fast forward to today, I, as a consumer, get almost everything through a single device. And that might be my phone, my tablet, or my laptop. And I'm usually getting it through apps. And so to me, it all looks the same now. I don't see the differentiation. And so I think one of the key most important things we as learning business owners, whether inside the work company or whether in the provider market is, we need to be seeing ourselves through the lens of a responsibility for aggregating synthesizing and bringing together all of these means by which the workforce is enabled. And I think that's where we're really heading is that our responsibility, when you really boil it down to is our job is to help the workforce be more enabled to successfully execute their job on a day in day out basis, their skills and their capabilities. And I think that's where uh, we will all be evolving, whether we're a buyer or a seller, if you will, that what we're really doing, and it kind of goes back to the curation discussion a little bit, but I think that's something that we all need to be getting ourselves ready for is this evolution in the workforce's means of demand. And if we don't do that, and I'll give you my fear, fear part of the story. If we don't do that, the consumers will deviate around us. No matter what we're putting out there, the consumers will self-consume some other way because in the end, what they care about, the consumer cares about is, they care about getting what they need when they need it to be successful in doing what they're doing. And they don't care if it came from learning, knowledge, communications, marketing, or anybody else. Thanks so much for joining us today, Leo. These have been insightful conversations. Listeners, we have just heard some great insights on the future of instructional design and learning creation from Leo Blankenship. You've been listening to the Leaders in Learning Design podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, a regular podcast for cutting edge learning design. 